0: Well, it's the high noon hour, as was appointed for our service to take place. Can I welcome you all on this first day of 2020? It's good for us to be here. I know some of you may have brought the in already here at the Watch Night service last night, but we, we come this morning to worship God. That's our first uh, priority, is it not? and we trust that we'll know God's blessing as we spend time together. I promise you this will not be a long service. I am not going to hold you from your steak pies any longer than I need to. But it's good for us to start the new year together in worship of God. And as the Word of God reminds us, He calls us to worship. From Psalm 95, we have these words, "'O come, let us sing to the Lord.'" Come, let us, everyone, a joyful noise make to the rock of our salvation. Oh, come, and let us worship him. Let us bow down with all, and on our knees, before the Lord our Maker, let us fall. So let us begin our service with praise. We're singing from Psalm 107, 1 to 9. Thanks to those who have organized the screen and everything, and we trust that everything will be to God's glory as we spend time. So we'll stand. Stephen's going to lead us in Psalm 107, verses 1 to 9.: Oh thank the Lord for. The take your seats. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer to God. Let's pray. The psalmist invites us to come to worship you, and we would do so acknowledging that you are God, that you are the God of creation, the God of salvation the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our heavenly Father, this morning anew, we rejoice that we can come to you to acknowledge your goodness to us. It is just, in a sense, the passage of one day to another, of one year to another. It's the passage of one decade to another in our experience And yet, Lord, it's good for us to acknowledge that you have been good to us, and it is as a token of your goodness and your great mercy towards us that we are here. So, Lord, enable us never to take our situations for granted. As we give thanks to you for your faithfulness, we know, Lord, that there are many for whom the beginning of this year is not a happy one. It is so easy for us to wish wish one another a happy new year. And we pray, O Lord, that we would experience real happiness, not the happiness that the world seems to throw at us and tempt us with, but the happiness, the deep joy that comes from knowing that God is with us in his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ by His Spirit. We pray, O Lord, that the Emmanuel of Christmas would be with us as we enter this new year and as we set forth, knowing not what may lie ahead of us, but believing that You are with us. So, Lord, we give thanks and ask, O Lord, that You would bless each one here. You know our needs. You know the thoughts of our hearts. You know the the anxious thoughts that pervade us, pervade our minds, and so often distract us. But we pray, O Lord, that You would accept us through the Lord Jesus Christ, that You would take away from us anything that would seek to make something of ourselves, but rather that we would have our boast in no one else but in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, risen again and who is our great High Priest at the right hand of God our Father. So bless us now, continue with us, and accept our worship through Him. We seek Your forgiveness for many things that we fall short in, and we ask humbly, Lord, for acceptance of us and our worship today through Jesus and in His name. Amen. Well, uh, there are two Scripture readings which I'd like to, us to uh, share uh, this morning, or it's afternoon now, I suppose. Uh, it's an Old Testament reading from Psalm 85. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, psalm 85 in the Bible, uh, the church Bibles, it's on page 595. Psalm 85. Read the whole psalm. It's not a long psalm. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, Assam, you showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. And there's that word, sila, that sometimes occurs in our translations. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God our Saviour, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people. His saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely His salvation is near those who fear Him, that His glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. And our New Testament reading is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, just reading a few verses from there. Paul is addressing a church where there were divisions and uh, people were wanting to follow Paul or Apollos, uh, or Cephas. And uh, the, the question that Paul uh, cited was, is Christ divided? He goes on in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. Not, not a, a, a lot of verses. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world therefore as it is written let him who boasts boast in the lord this is the word of god thanks be to god well before we look for a few minutes at uh, psalm 85 which is to be uh, the focus of our short meditation this morning let's bow our heads in a word of prayer our gracious lord We come before you as those who are dependent upon you, as those who seek to be taught uh, by the great teacher himself, even our Lord Jesus. So, Lord, may our hearts, by your Spirit, be prepared to receive from your Word, and may what we consider together be glorifying to you, so that we are able to say, that our boast is in no one else but Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Grant that this may be so, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like us to turn, if you have a Bible, to Psalm 85. I'm just going to spend a few minutes on this. Uh, I promise I won't be much more than 20 minutes. Now, I'm hearing stopwatches being clicked all of a sudden. Uh, uh, Maybe I shouldn't have said that I'm promising anything, but we'll see how the Lord takes us through this psalm. The psalm uh, I've decided to uh, subdivide into three parts, uh, and I think these are convenient. Uh, The first part, verses 1 to 3, I've given a title of Reflection. The second part, verses 4 to 7, I've given a title of request, because I think these titles more or less sum up the content of these verses. And then the last part of the psalm, uh, verses 8 down to the end, uh, reassurance. So, three uh, sorry, reflection, request, and reassurance. And I want to spend more time on the third of these three parts. But just a few words uh, uh, to start off with uh, on the first part of the psalm. It's good to start a new calendar year, is it not, in acknowledgement of God's goodness uh, in the past. Sometimes we do that uh, as a matter of course or rote. It's been the tradition. I know in our… those of you who were brought up in the free church, as I was, Uh, To have a New Year's Day service. I think it always used to be at 12 noon. There's nothing in tablets of stone that says that that is the case. But what is important is that there is an acknowledgement of God. As the book of Proverbs reminds us, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will guide your paths. And that's what we are seeking to do today, to acknowledge God. So it's good for us to start the year with that acknowledgement. It's also, I think, good for us to be honest with ourselves and with the Lord regarding our needs and our dependence upon Him as as individuals, and as a congregation, as a community which we, in a very real way, represent. So we acknowledge and we are honest with God about these things and with ourselves, and We should be humble, I think, in making our requests for present and future needs made known to Him with gratitude, as Paul says when he writes to the the Philippians, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. And in that context, Paul says, and the peace of God. And, you know, this psalm speaks about that peace in a very real way. And there are many other psalms uh, which reflect the gratitude which we have. It's also good for us, I think, to listen to what God has to say. And this psalm echoes that uh, in verse 8, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. And I think at the beginning of a year, surely that is where we should be. We ought to be in a, a listening mode to God. It's like going to your digital radio and scanning to see if you can find the wavelength you're looking for. And that is where we have to be, I think, this new year. It's good for us to listen, not just to hear what God has to say in terms of hearing the words and then walking away, but to listen with an intent of Uh, reacting positively to what God has to say to us. And he he keeps on speaking to us uh, about himself, who he is, what he is like. And if we do that, joy and peace can be experienced uh, by us as a result. So as I've uh, outlined, uh, the, the, the psalm speaks in the first few verses of reflection, Uh, verses 1 to 3. Just a few words on that. Uh, It seems to me that uh, the Psalm was written at a time when uh, Israel uh, had come back from being in some uh, constriction under God's judgment. Perhaps it's referring to the Babylonian uh, captivity. The writer of the Psalmist uh, is anonymous, but it's ascribed to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah, who were put in charge of the praise at the time of King David. But this psalm, uh, I think, can have relevance not just for a time when things may have been bad, but right through a year for us, if we restrict the future to that for the time being. We're into a, a new year uh, uh, it's very strange when I say to myself, right, 2020. Uh, it, it's, it, sometimes when we're writing dates, we'll find that we're still writing 2019, perhaps, on documents from time to time, uh, and it takes us a wee while to readjust. But, you know, 2020, numerically, the significance of it, of it has been lost in our cultural uh, day. And if, if we uh, uh, say 2020 A.D., I like A.D., I like Anno Domini. It's not a, uh, I don't know what the terms are used nowadays, it's uh, present uh, era or something like that. I can't remember what the, the mnemonic is, but there you have it. So, it's a time for reflection, and this is what uh, the people seem to have been doing Uh, Lord, you've been favorable to your land. You brought back the captivity of Jacob. There is the captivity spoken of there. Difficulties, any difficulties that we might have in the past, can we say, can we reflect on the fact that God has been favorable to us? Is it not uh, a result of God's goodness and mercy that you and I are here together today? Uh, Or do we just take it for granted? Uh, I think there ought to be a, a reflection, a serious reflection in the light of God's faithfulness. And look at what it says here. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sins. Well, if you and I can say that, I don't know if you can say that for yourself today. Can you say that I look back and I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my sins have been forgiven, the iniquity that I'm guilty of, and that all my sins have been covered, atoned for, cleansed away uh, in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these things are not specifically mentioned there, but surely that is what these words are alluding to. In verse 3, he speaks of having taken away anger. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. We have to remember that uh, sin in the sight of God is a heinous thing. And the way he reacts to sin is in an anthropomorphic way in anger. It's uh, akin to the reaction between Sodium, I once upon a time was an industrial chemist. And if you, put, if you put sodium in water, what happens? It just explodes. The two are absolutely uh, irreconcilable, if you like, in that sense. And that is the way God is with sin, unless he himself deals with it. And in reflection, I think it's good for us to see that uh, here we have some of the the strongest language uh, regarding salvation, right at the beginning of this psalm, covering their sins and also setting aside your wrath. There are two theological terms which we're familiar from from the New Testament, uh, taken in by these things, uh, atonement and propitiation. I'm not going into these theological terms, but It points to God being our Savior. God's salvation is there. And it's very interesting that in the first three verses, the psalmist is addressing God in this uh, reflection. Lord, you were. Lord, you restored. You were favorable. You restored. You forgave. You covered. You withdrew. You turned from your hot anger. It is God who does it all for us. And that is what we have to remember. So there is just a few thoughts on reflecting on God's goodness in the past. Uh, I know that for some today, uh, it will not be a happy new year. I look back in my own life uh, to 1st of January 1965. Uh, new Year's Day 1965. My grandfather on my mother's side died. He had been ill for quite a long time, and it wasn't sudden in that sense. But at the uh, the beginning of a new year, it's one of these things that uh, brings things, uh, the reality of things around us to light. And uh, it's very difficult, uh, as you can imagine, for us to wish each other a happy new year when situations like that arise. Secondly, I want to just look at uh, the section where there's a request, uh, verses uh, four down to seven. I like these words. He wants, uh, he's uh, still praying to God. This is uh, more of a prayer than he's acknowledging God, speaking to God in the first part, but he's making a request to God. And He's asking God… There are, in fact, two prayers you could uh, argue in this section, verses 4 to 7. Verses 4 and 5, restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Now, this is harking back to the time when God was dealing with His own people of old uh, in a punitive way because of their disobedience. And… It's still, I think, pertinent for us uh, to ask God to keep on restoring us, if you like, the continuous necessity we have in our lives. Because if God doesn't keep on restoring us and renewing us, then we'll grow stale and lose any sight of our raison d'etre in the world. Restore us again, O God. Of our salvation, It's amazing how the psalmist there is making a statement of faith. There is no salvation outside of you is effectively what he is saying. And then again there are echoes for us of the, gospel, the salvation that comes through the gospel. That there is no other name given from heaven amongst people by whom we must be saved except by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, there is a prayer for restoration, and there is also in verse 6, will you not revive us again? This is an awareness of uh, the battery, as it were, is running out of charge. I wonder if in some way, if we're honest with ourselves, that may be true of us. Perhaps at the beginning of a new year, we don't feel as if we're as uh, energetic, At any level, whether it's physically or mentally, but spiritually, what's our energy level like? And is it not appropriate for us to ask God for a revival? How does that happen? What exactly are we praying for? Are we praying for revival? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? The objective is. Always a focus on God. Revive us, Lord, so that we'll feel good. No. Revive us so that our joy is in the Lord, that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Now, there are wonderful words coming through here in verse 7. I'm looking at the ESV translation, and it says, Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. That word, steadfast love, is a key word in the whole uh, ambit, the whole scope of salvation. uh, There's a thread of covenant relationship where God is concerned in this psalm right through. And here he's talking about covenant love steadfast love, a love that is steadfast because it is uh, written arguably in blood in covenant with God's people. And this is what the psalmist is pleading for. Lord, you have made a covenant with your people. Yes, they have perhaps fallen away from you. They have misbehaved. They haven't been as dedicated as they ought to have been. But show us your steadfast love show us, Lord, that covenant relationship of love that you have for us, and grant us your salvation. save us, Lord. and again, there is this utter exclusive dependence of God for the salvation that is being prayed for it's very interesting in our own situation here it's in Peters uh, we're, we're in a a situation of vacancy at the moment, uh, some people might argue, uh, and I would be very hesitant in arguing that oh, we don 't need revival. Well, I think we do. I think we need a real outpouring of god 's spirit to make us uh, to make us uh, more meaningfully relating to one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord, and to give us a greater desire for those. Have as, not, as yet not tasted the graciousness of God. If we have tasted that the Lord is gracious, surely we would like others to taste of the same. Praying for revival then means praying that God's work among His people would cause them to find their joy in nothing else than in Him. And that is why we are beckoned to come to God's throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, right at the end there, let us come with confidence. We should come full of confidence, knowing that God can revive us, knowing that if we come full of boldness, pleading with God for revival, that He will bring that. But we have to be patient. And with it all, we must be humble, desiring God's glory and praise. So, that's reflection, request, and finally, reassurance. These words from verse 8 down to the end, they need much more time than I'm going to give them just now. But I want us to notice, first of all, that the psalmist, so he's speaking to himself, and he's saying, Let me listen to what God the Lord will speak. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. To to listen to God, for He will speak peace to His people and to His saints. That's, again, the covenant relationship. The people He has chosen for Himself and loved with an everlasting love. He will speak peace. But the first thing, the first premise there in terms of being reassured, is that we must listen to God. We must listen to what God is saying through His Word. He spoke in previous times, historic occasions, through the prophets and in signs and wonders. But now in these last days, the gospel era, how is God speaking to us? He's speaking to us through His Son, the Word made flesh. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. The psalmist uh, earlier on expressed surrender and submission to God, and the proper attitude of the believing prayer for revival is that very attitude of surrender, humility. There are various things we ought to pray for uh, in revival, and that is, the congregation as a unit in our vacancy, and the community of which we are part here in Dundee, whatever our lot is being, has been cast by God and his providence. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, listening to him. He will speak peace. There are various things that come down through. I'd like to just focus for a bit on verse 10. Here we have this uh, covenant-loving kindness, cheseth, as it is in Hebrew. It's a a word that speaks of God's steadfast, unfailing love. It's translated in English in different ways, covenant-loving kindness. Some translations have it as mercy. But I like the the idea of the, the ESV, steadfast love, I think, more or less Uh, encapsulates the thought behind this, that the love of God is steadfast towards his people. And this is where our reassurance should start and finish. And he speaks of other things. I like this. Steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace kiss each other. Love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Beautiful language there in the original. And we find that these things come together in the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator says, these four divine attributes in verse 10, they parted when Adam lost communion with God. They went away from us, but they came together again when the Lord Jesus Christ came into our world. Steadfast love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That's what we have been uh, remembering over the past week, the coming of God manifest in the flesh. And where did these meet? They met in a person, but they met particularly in the Lord Jesus Christ when he poured out his life on the cross of Calvary. Steadfast love and faithfulness, righteousness and peace, they came together. God did not compromise any of his attributes in providing for us a sacrifice for our sins. And as a result, look at what verse 11 says, faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Faithfulness springing up from the earth was typified perfectly in the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the Father on earth. Righteousness looks down from the sky. It's quite amazing that God smiled on his son while he finished the work the Father gave him to do. And now, in Christ, and only in Christ, is God's smile on his people. And this is what the psalmist is pleading for. Smile on us, Lord, in and through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness looks down from the sky. And at the end of the psalm, he says, Yes, here is the assurance. I believe that this will happen. I don't know when, but it will. The Lord will give what is good. And that is what we have to believe in as well, is it not? As we enter another year. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Growth. Growth in grace. Growth in our relationships in a positive way with one another. But above all, growth in our Relationship with God, growth in faith. Lord, plead the disciples, and Lord, increase my faith. Should that not be our prayer? Righteousness will go before him and make his steps away. Righteousness so marks God. This is one of the attributes that, is, that encapsulates what God is and what he is like it so marks God that it goes before Him as the tail of a comet goes behind the comet. Remember when the children of Israel were about to to cross the Red Sea, the Ark of the Covenant had to go before them to create the way, to trailblaze, if you like. And that was God's righteousness, God's holiness, God being represented. It wasn't... Uh, the people, the, the priests who carried the ark that mattered. It was the representation of the, the, what the, the ark of the covenant represented itself. So, his footsteps ought to be our pathways. Is that not the case for a new year? God's march will leave a track wherein his people will joyfully follow. Well, I trust that God will look after us as we enter a new year, 2020. It's good for us to acknowledge God in His goodness. It's good for us to reflect on the past, but not to dwell on the past, not to be stuck in the past. It's good for us to come to God's throne of grace with boldness, requesting God, not my will, but Your will be done in my life. And it's good for us, I think to be reassured by the promises of God, which are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I trust that you and I, all of us together, will work together waiting on the Lord. They who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Is that not what Isaiah reminds us of? They shall mount up as eagles on wings. They shall run and not be weary. Walk and not be faint. I must admit personally, I get weary, I get faint, but that's my fault. It's not the Lord's fault. And I know what I need to do in order for that weariness and tiredness and lack of energy to be addressed in my own life, starting with myself, with those whom I love in my immediate vicinity, and with brothers and sisters here at St. Pete's and everywhere else. May God bless to us our meditation. Let's bow our heads. Lord, accept our thanks for your word. Accept our thanks for the word who was made flesh and dwelt among us. And may we say from our hearts that we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Show us more of Jesus, Lord, by your Spirit and draw us to yourself as a Father, loving Father, gathers his children. Hear us, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our final item of praise is Psalm 117. It's a I didn't choose it because it's one of the shortest psalms that we can sing, but I did choose it because I think it sends us away from here today with a chorus of praise on our lips, and being so short, I thought we would sing it twice through. So Stephen will come and lead us. Praise the Lord, O oh, all you nations. from the letter of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.